Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the slip opinion syllabus from the Supreme Court of the United States in Cyan Incorporated versus Beaver County Employees Retirement Fund. Certiorari to the Court of Appeals of California, First Appellate District. Argued November 28, 2017. Decided March 20, 2018. In the wake of the 1929 stock market crash, Congress enacted two laws in successive years to, mo- to promote honest practices in the securities market. The Securities Act of 1933 creates private rights of action to aid the enforcement of obligations pertaining to securities offerings. The Act authorizes both federal and state courts to exercise jurisdiction over those private suits and, more unusually, bars the removal of such suits from state to federal court. The Securities Exchange Act of 1934, which regulates not the original issuance of securities, but all their subsequent trading, is also enforceable through private rights of action. But all suits brought under the 1934 Act fall within the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal courts. In 1995, Private Securities Litigation Reform Act amended both acts in order to stem perceived abuses from the class action vehicle in securities litigation. The Reform Act included both substantive reforms applicable in state and federal court alike and procedural reforms applicable only in federal court. Rather than face these new obstacles, plaintiffs began filing securities class actions under state law. To prevent this end run around the Reform Act, Congress passed the Securities Litigation Uniform Standards Act of 1998, SLUSA, whose amendments to the 1933 Act are at issue in this case. As relevant here, those amendments include two operative provisions, two associated definitions, and two conforming amendments. First, 15 U.S.C. 77PB completely disallows in both state and federal courts covered class actions alleging dishonest practices in connection with the purchase or sale of a covered security. According to Sluice's definition, the term covered class action means a class action in which damages are sought on behalf of more than 50 persons, 77PF2, and the term covered security refers to security listed in a national stock exchange, 77PF3. Next, 77PC provides for the removal of certain class actions to federal court, where they are then subject to dismissal. Finally, SLUSA's conforming amendments add two new phrases to 77VA, the 1933 Act's jurisdictional provision. The first creates an exception to 77VA's general removal bar through the language except as provided in section 77PC. The other key provision in this case, expresses a caveat to the general rule that state and federal courts have concurrent jurisdiction over all claims to enforce the 1933 Act. With this conforming amendment, 77VA now provides that state and federal courts shall have concurrent jurisdiction, except as provided in Section 77P, with respect to covered class actions. The court refers to this provision as the accept clause. Respondents, three pension funds, and an individual purchased shares of stock in Petitioner's Cayenne Incorporated 
in an initial public offering. After the stock declined in values, the investors brought damages class action against Cayenne in state court, alleging 1933 Act violations. They did not assert any claims based on state law. Cayenne moved to dismiss for lack of subject matter jurisdiction, arguing that SLUSA's Accept Clause stripped state courts of power to adjudicate 1933 Act claims in covered class actions. The investors maintain that SLUSA left intact state courts' jurisdiction over all suits, including covered class actions, alleging only 1933 Act claims. The state courts agreed with the investors and denied Cayenne's motion to dismiss. This court granted certiori to decide whether SLUSA deprived state courts of jurisdiction over covered class actions, asserting only 1933 Act claims. The court also addressed a related question raised by the federal government as an amicus curiae, addressed by the parties in briefing and in argument, whether SLUSA enabled defendants to remove 1933 Act class actions from state to federal court for adjudication. The Supreme Court held SLUSA did nothing to strip state courts of their long-standing jurisdiction to adjudicate class actions brought under the 1933 Act. SLUSA's text, read most straightforwardly, leaves that jurisdiction intact. The background rule of 77VA, in place since the 1933 Act's passage, gives state courts concurrent jurisdiction over all suits brought to enforce any liability or duty created by that statute. And the except clause, except is provided in this section, 77P, of this title with respect to covered class action, ensures that in any case in which 77VA and 77P conflict, 77P will control. The critical question for this case is therefore whether 77P limits state jurisdiction over class actions brought under the 1933 Act. It does not. Section 77P bars certain securities class actions based on state law, but it says, says nothing, and so does nothing, to deprive state courts of jurisdiction over class actions based on federal law. That means 77VA's background rule, under which a state court may hear the Investor's 1933 Act suit, continues to govern. Cayenne argues that the Accept Clause's reference to covered class actions points the reader to 77PF2, which defines that term to mean a suit seeking damages on behalf of more than 50 persons. Without mentioning anything about whether the suit is based on state or federal law. But that view cannot be squared with the accept clause's wording for two independent reasons. First, the accept clause points to section 77P as a whole, not to paragraph 77PF2. Had Congress intended to refer to 77PF2's definition alone, it presumably would have done so. See National Labor Relations Board versus Southwest General Incorporated. Second, a definition like 77PF2's does not provide an exception, but instead gives meaning to a term. And Congress well knows the definition between those two functions. Not one of the 30 plus provisions in the 1933 and 1934 acts using the phrase except as provided in cross references a definition. Structure and context also support the court's reading of the accept clause.
because Cayenne treats the board the broad definition of covered class action as altering 77VA's jurisdictional grant, its construction would prevent state courts from deciding any 1933 Act class suits seeking damages for more than 50 plaintiffs, thus stripping state courts of jurisdiction over suits about securities, raising no particular national interest. That result is out of line with SLUSA's overall scope. Moreover, it's highly unlikely that Congress upended a 65-year practice of state courts adjudicating all manner of 1933 Act cases, including class actions, by way of a mere conforming amendment. See Director of Revenue of Missouri versus Cobank. Cayenne's reliance on legislative purpose in history is unavailing. Cayenne insists that the only way for SLUSA to serve the Reform Act's objectives was by divesting state courts of jurisdiction over all sizable 1933 Act class actions. Specifically, it claims that its reading is necessary to prevent plaintiffs from circumventing the Reform Act's procedural measures, which apply only in federal court by bringing 1933 Act class actions in state court. But, Cayenne ignores a different way in which SLUSA served the Reform Act's objectives, which the court's view of the statute fully affects. The Reform Act included substantive sections protecting defendants in suits brought under the federal securities law. Plaintiffs circumvented those provisions by bringing their complaints of securities misconduct under state law instead. Hence emerged SLUSA's bar on state law class actions and its removal provision to ensure their dismissal, which guaranteed the Reform Act's heightened substantive standards would govern all future securities class litigation. SLUSA's preamble states that the statute is designed to limit the conduct of securities class actions under state law, and for other purposes. And this court has underscored over and over SLUSA's purpose to preclude certain vexing state law class actions, see Kircher v. Putnam Funds Trust. That object which SLUSA's text actually reflects does not depend on stripping state courts of jurisdiction over 1933 Act suits as Cayenne proposes. For wherever those suits go forward, the Reform Act's substantive protections necessarily apply. SLUSA also went on, went a good di distance towards ensuring that federal courts would play the principal role of adjudicating securities class actions by means of its revisions to the 1934 Act, because federal courts have exclusive jurisdiction over 1934 Act claims. Forcing plaintiffs to bring class actions under 1934 statute instead of state law also forced them to file in federal court. Cayenne finally argues that the accept clause would serve no purpose at all unless it works as Cayenne says, but Congress would have envisioned the accept clause as the ultimate fail-safe device, designed to safeguard 77P's class action bar, come whatever might. Congress has been known to legislate in that hyper-vigilant way, to remove any doubt, as to things not particularly doubtful in the first instance. See Marx v. General Revenue Corps. If, it, if ever it had reason to legislate in that fashion, it was in SLUSA, whose very impetus lay in the success of class action attorneys in bypassing the Reform Act. See Kircher. And regardless of any uncertainty surrounding Congress's reasons for drafting the Accept Clause, 
There is no sound basis for giving that clause a broader reading than its language can bear, especially in light of the dramatic change such an interpretation would work on the 1933 Act's jurisdictional framework. SLUSA does not permit defendants to remove class actions alleging only 1933 Act claims from state to federal court. The government argues that 77PC allows defendants to remove 1933 Act class actions to federal court as long as they allege the kinds of misconduct listed in 77PB. But, most naturally read, 77PC refutes, not supports, the government's view. Section 77PC allows for the removal of any covered class action brought in any state court involving a covered security as set forth in subsection B. The covered class actions set forth in 77PB are state law class actions alleging securities misconduct. Federal lawsuits are not class actions as set forth in subsection B. Thus, they remain subject to the 1933 Act's removal ban. This court has held as much, concluding that 77PB and 77PC apply to the exact same universe of class actions. See Kircher. The straightforward reading of those two provisions is that removal under 77PC is limited to those actions precluded by the terms of subsection B. Judgment is affirmed. Justice Kagan delivered the opinion for a unanimous court.